Christmas. Let's go. Hey. Ho, ho, ho. Wow. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's Akira the Don and uh, it's the Meaning Stream. And today we have a special guest. He's going to be joining us throughout the stream, a friend of the Meaning Wave universe, beloved by many. Yes, indeed, we are going to be joined live across space and time for the uh, totality of today's broadcast by your friend and mine, the uh, immortal Paul Harvey, American radio broadcaster, famous for his unique style and storytelling abilities. Featured on a number of Meaning Wave releases thus far, thus far. I keep hearing little bits of him saying stuff and I immediately have to turn it into songs. You know? Uh, he was born in 1918. Did you know that? 1918. And uh, he departed this veil of tears in uh, 2009. Yet his uh, presence remains, you know? His presence remains. Yeah, it does. So, welcome, brothers and sisters. Lovely to have you here. Let's see if we can get him on the line right now. Here at Santa's Polar Headquarters, it is at this moment just oh, yeah. past 11 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, Christmas Eve. It is dark. It has been dark since September. It is cold. That is, to me, it's cold. It's 64 degrees below zero outside our broadcast shack. This, I understand, is comparatively mild, but it's snowing tonight. It does not snow here often. 
Though there's always adequate ice on the polar cap, I understand from the Kringles that they have less snow here than we customarily have back in Chicago. Moments from now, I'm going to step outside this enclosure. The windows are so steamy and iced up so that you and I will have a better look at the takeoff of Santa's sleigh, which is presently in the final loading process in the interim. And in behalf of the Hastings Manufacturing Company, which is making this remote origination possible, let me wish for you and for those you love everything that's good for you. And you filling station men back in the United States, take take tomorrow off and eat too much and have fun. But before you lock up for tonight, be sure your regular customers have a can of K-Side tune up in the crankcase so they'll be sure of a quick start tomorrow. You'll be interested to know our K-Side is good for the little engines, too. The generator, which is making possible this broadcast from the North Pole, is one of a battery of generators which powers Santa's workshop. And I am assured that the lubrication of these engine parts at temperatures as low as 100 degrees below zero is insured with K-Side additives. How about that? In the faint light of this Arctic night, I'm having some difficulty inside this radio shack, this glass window visibility again, so though my remarks may be less intelligible in the 45-knot wind that's swirling through the Santa land tonight, I'm going to step outside presently for a better view. The workshop's opposite resembled a beehive when I arrived late this afternoon, your time, but one by one, the lights in those long buildings have been going in. Ladies and gentlemen, I just received word from the good St. Nicholas himself that his ETA over the USA will be 1.53 a.m. That's just no, a little more than four really? hours from now. That means tailwinds are anticipated. We'd better get out there on the loading apron beside the runway. Give me a little more mic for Dave Cole. Dave is another of the crew to whom we're indebted for absenting themselves from their stateside families this Christmas Eve to make this fine George. Can you still hear me? What's going on? What's going on? Can you hear? I can see you coming through the swirling snow. I'm going to assume that we're on the air. Santa's sleigh is still alongside the loading dock. Helpers are busting with the eight reindeer harness. Thunder and Blitzen and Dancer, as previously announced in the States, Rudolph is not going to lead the hitch this year. For the first time in ten Christmases, Rudolph, whose red nose was a prime navigational aid for several of those years, is lame with a slightly injured fetlock. will stay behind. The newer navigational gear is under the front seat of the great sleigh. Radio contact will be maintained with remote control weather stations on the floating ice islands. These automatic devices have been made available by the United States Air Force. Actually, the sleigh will be in voice communication with Point Barrow shortly after gaining cruising altitude, but that's almost a thousand miles away. I passed Point Barrow just as... Oh, here, here comes St. Nicholas! Whoa! Here comes in the, in the yellow-lighted doorway of the Kringle residence. He's kissing Mrs. Kringle. He's kissing Mrs. Kringle, and she's smiling. She always worries until he's home safe, she says, but she's smiling. Look at the workshop elves. There must be a uh, hundred I erroneously indicated moments ago that there uh, was no activity around here when the lights were going out, but the elves are all around the loading platform. Santa's waving and moving toward his sleigh on the steel net runway. It's still snowy, slightly. Certainly those of us away from our families must be excused for saying this is a most momentous experience. I'm being motioned closer to the microphone. I can't get any closer. You take this thing up so the cold metal would not stick to my lips. Like, is this better? I'll, I'll hold out of my parka up here so that I'm cutting the wind a little bit. The mooring housers have been relaxed and tossed uh, aboard now as Santa's sleigh draws up this way. We can see the load of home. My goodness, we've been assured it's a record smashing capacity this Christmas, but the sleigh has piled approximately 40, maybe 45 feet high with packages. There's a tarp drawn tight. The elves here. And Santa's waving so long. Santa, excellent snow landing conditions have been promised down through the maritime provinces. Rooftop landings are practicable any weather with an And they're off. They're down the steel net runway and they're off. I can see the running lights. I'm losing sight. There's Mrs. Santa is outside the door in just a house dress. My goodness, she's waving. Santa's waving and saying something. Did you get it? I got it. I got it. Santa, who is now headed your way, had this to say. Merry Christmas to all and to all. Good night from the North Pole. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. 
Hey, thanks, Paul Harvey. That was Paul Harvey. Across space, also time. They're checking in across space and time from uh, Christmas Eve in 1956 or something like that. Amazing. Wow, what a... What an absolute joy. What an absolute joy. Well, we got Paul Harvey for the duration of the show. How do you all feel about that? Are you excited? A lo-fi Christmas special. Paul Harvey, lo-fi Christmas special. Uh, VBDC, thank you for the support. Uh, says, do a big loud ho-ho-ho like you're really Santa and tell me how good it feels. felt pretty good gotta say it felt pretty good to deliver a, a loud ho 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 on the uh, Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas special look I did it again Merry Christmas to you one and all and uh, particularly to uh, Venice Beach Dub Club appreciate you how's everybody doing out there have you uh, gently caressed the like button because uh, I think we need to be a bit more stern we need to be a bit more patriarchal with the like button we're not here to mother the like button we must discipline the life the like button otherwise it's not fair we're putting it in danger if we do not discipline it correctly Anyway, what's on the zone? Welcome to the thing. We have some wonderful things. Wonderful things in store for you tonight. Absolute, absolute blessings of stuff in store tonight. What up, Jason Eva? Merry Christmas, everyone, says Jason Eva. Merry Christmas, Jason Eva. Jason Eva has been working hard all day uh, sourcing sourcing Paul Harvey across space and time. Sourcing, sourcing. Emphasis on source. Richard is prepping Christmas cocktail. Something. Cocktail ingredients and Akira is the perfect mix. Yes, indeed. Hello, 2076. Hello, Shecky. Hello, everybody. This ain't nice. I don't know what it is. Oh, perfect. Okay, perfect.
Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Shall we, um, shall we check in again? Maybe we should. I think we should. I think we should. Uh, we've got, you know, the honor of having Paul Harvey tonight. So we should, uh, you know, not waste, not waste a second. Or maybe just a couple seconds, you know. Francis Marcellus Church was a hard-boiled journalist of the old school. It was in his blood, I suppose. His father founded the New York Chronicle. His brother was a newspaper man. A New York Times correspondent during the Civil War, Francis Church saw reality up close on a daily basis, and he reported it faithfully as such. Life does not come sugar-coated, Francis learned as a young man, and he persistently refused to characterize it thus for his readers. You see what we have here, of course, the makings of a perfect curmudgeon. For as the years passed from wartime to peacetime, and the beat shifted from a battleground to a safer desk, the glint in the eye and the fire in the belly gradually diminished to a squint over the spectacles and a third-rate case of chronic dyspepsia. But his passion for truth never subsided. It simply took on the guise of cynicism for a while. By the autumn of 1897, Francis Parcellus Church, boy reporter, was 58 years old, a 20-year veteran editorial writer for the New York Sun, whose tolerance for the frivolous had long since dropped to zero. In his editorials, Mr. Church preferred to make comment on religious topics, which he often treated with considerable skepticism. The more controversial the subject, the more Mr. Church seemed to relish it. So it was perhaps with that in mind that his managing editor, Edward P. Mitchell, presented him with that particular letter on that particular September afternoon. Mr. Church's response to his superior was something like, you've got to be joking. But Mr. Mitchell was not joking. Please answer this for tomorrow's edition, he said. Well, Mr. Church, bristling, returned reluctantly to his desk and began writing. Now, what happened to him? Between the moment he started that editorial and the moment he finished it, that's anybody's guess. But something must have happened because, you see, Francis Marcellus Church wrote something utterly uncharacteristic that day. In a sense, if only for 400 words or so, he became somebody he had never been. And yet those words comprise his only legacy as a journalist, and they remain the only reason that anyone is at all curious about him almost a hundred years later. His editorial, September 21, 1897, was unsigned. In fact, it was not known until after his death in 1906 that he became publicly known as its author. But now you will never forget a no-nonsense newspaper man named Francis Barcellus Church because of a solitary glaring inconsistency in his otherwise grimly logical career. Mr. Church was married but never had children of his own. And yet in spite of his sardonic self, he was to make glad the heart of childhood for countless millions of all ages. And especially at this season of the year. All because once upon a time, a little girl on the brink of disillusionment wrote to the New York Sun seeking an honest answer to a sincere question, and Francis Church wrote an editorial reply which has echoed down through the generations since.
an editorial reply which began with these words. Yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. And now you know the rest of the story. Hey, thanks, Bill Harvey. That was a nice little Christmas story. Imagine that. Imagine living in that kind of a wholesome society. Hey, guess what you do? You're right here. You're right here. Hey, Jason Eva. <laughs> See, Jason Eva has been wholesome guard here. Somebody just, uh, somebody just messaged, your motherfuckers like the damn stream. Excuse me. Now, Paul Harvey would not appreciate such language, so I understand why, why uh, Jason uh, yeeted that message. But I, I think that one's okay. But given that we are in the presence of, uh, of, uh, of Paul Harvey, let's act accordingly and act respectfully. You know? Let us enjoy this glimpse into another place, another time, another mode of being. This is indeed the Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas Special. Now, this wouldn't be a meaning stream without an international high-five. The international high-five is that most important of uh, traditions, you know? And what is Christmas if not a tradition, you know? Traditions are very important. Traditions bind us together, uh, dare I say, across space and time. You know what I mean? Since we live all over the place these days, we're not quite as localized as once we were. We are somewhat fragmented, but at the same time, more more connected than ever we have been. Which is something of a miracle, frankly, and that's another thing that Christmas is all about. Yeah. So with that being said, I would like to propose an international high-five ceremony, which involves you telling me where you are. You know, where on this beautiful... Uh, Whatever this thing is that we inhabit, it might be the inside of a snow globe. I do not know. Perhaps we are in a snow globe. You know, somewhere on the back of a giant polar bear, rampaging through uh, uh, the Antarctic wastelands of the cosmos. Wherever we are, I like it. I am glad to be here, particularly with you. But I would like you to tell me where you are. Where you are. And what's your favorite thing about Christmas? Huh? What? What is your favorite thing about Christmas, you beautiful thing, you? What's my favorite thing about Christmas? Oh, that's nice of you to ask. Nice. I mean, there's so much to love about it, you know? I like it, but what I really love about it is, uh, is the feeling, the magical feeling. Uh, which is a kind of combination of, uh, of, of gratitude and awareness of being. It's very much a thing that brings you into the moment, but also connects you to all these other moments simultaneously, right? 
Simultaneously, you're in this moment of this Christmas time, but you're also very much anchored to all the other Christmas times that you've experienced. And then simultaneously, you're anchored to all the Christmas times that came before your present experience through your ancestral line and your history. You can feel that, right? You can feel your connection to all those who came before you. I think that's probably my favorite thing about it, you know? It's the feeling. Abrupt ending. Very nice. I do like an abrupt Christmas ending. An abrupt Christmas ending. How nice is that? Let's see what everybody's saying out there. Uh, you guys are smart. Uh, let's see what you've got to say. Also, let me check if I've accidentally got reverb on from last night still. No, I don't. That's good. That's always nice. Uh, let's see. Tim last name says, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. You're lovely. We like you. Um, <laughs> Big Bad Wolf says, this is amazing. Just got to the gym. Had to work out to this. I feel like Big Bad Wolf is always in the gym. And uh, isn't that nice, you know? How nice to always be in the gym. If that ain't nice, I don't know what is. Uh, Forward Balls is doing good. Forward Balls, how about that? For a, for a username, wonderful. Uh, Big Bad Wolf is so pumped. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'll carry your boat or your lugs. Lifting the weights for all of you. That way you can lean on me. I'll be your friend. Ain't that nice? That's a Christmassy message right there. Uh, Lee Shepard says, obviously Santa Claus exists and so does Meaning Wave. And that is true. Butterflies in space. Joe, uh, loving tonight's stream. How nice to see you. Uh, poor Jolly Holly Christmas fire upon the like button, you jolly fellow, says Bad Buddha. That is good advice. Good advice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Silent Ups. Uh, green, green, northwest. is the cozy, dark and stormy that uh, Silent Ups likes. And uh, that's, that's real. Full Killer, uh, Maryland, my favorite thing about Christmas is that you can channel the Christmas spirit all year long. Exactly. I love that you said that because that's something I meant to say and then forgot to say because I went off on a mild tangent. But that's a very important thing, is that once you've anchored yourself to the Christmas feeling, you can summon it whenever you need it, you know? And uh, one way you can do that is by playing uh, lo-fi Christmas music by Akira the Don. Yay! Yay, exactly. I agree, I agree. Uh, Bad Buddha, NSW Australia, my favorite thing about Christmas is the spirit. The spirit, the very spirit of, uh, of that, of that Christmasness. And, uh, that is a wonderful thing. Uh, Shaggy says, in the kitchen, being around happy folks. That's nice, isn't it? Richard Florida, the feeling that can't be described but on Christmas. The feeling! The feeling, it is a feeling. Let me check my sound effects are doing the right thing. It's sounding a bit off. Oh, yeah. No, they are. They're fine. Bass on this song is really good, huh? Butterflies in Space Joseph's favorite thing about Christmas is giving. I gave, uh, we gave Hercules some uh, Robux earlier. He finished his school year. He did very well. Uh, He's just been learning Roman numerals. Uh, Anyway. Uh, Mama Don was going to take him for uh, a celebratory little uh, like luncheon, you know. But everyone's we're all a bit we're all a bit fluey coldy, 
so couldn't do that. So I thought, hey, how about we uh, take the money we would have spent and uh, you can buy whatever you might want, little and little Hercules. And he's like, can I buy Robux? <laughs> the light in his eyes. <laughs> really wanted some Robux. That's uh, Robux. If you don't know what that is, that's a cryptocurrency for children. Use it to buy intangible pleasure in, in, in the metaverse of, of Robux, Roblox. Anyway, he di- he did this, and the, you know what the first thing he did was when he was getting his Robux, he's like, "Oh, I have to put in a code." Turns out there's a thing you can do if you want to support one of your favorite creators. Uh, you can put in a code when you're buying Robux, and it gives them a percentage of the Robux. And Hercules always makes sure to do that because he likes to support his favorite creators. I said, that's brilliant. That's that's our Christmas charity done. Well done, boy. What a great boy you are. Uh, VBDC Venice Beach Dub Clubs. It's my favorite part of Christmas is Santa, the jolly old saint. I'm glad you called him a saint. I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, <laughs> Will Hay Decker, the Decker of Hay, says, I credit the despicable grind I was able to maintain in order to become a professional artist... To your Goggins album. Wow. That's very nice of you to say. I think you should probably take some of the credit too, huh? You professional artist, you. Please do send us some art. Congratulations on being a bad mama jammer. Notice how I didn't swear today. I'm being good. I'm being good today. Hey, Will Haydecker. Merry Christmas. Love everything you put out. Another message from Will Haydecker. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Owen, more from Will Haydecker, says specifically, I want to feel that. That's a Christmas song. If ever I heard one, that's a Christmas song. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Congratulations on your success. We're all very proud of you here, and we're glad you're here. And we're going to do an international high five now, so you better get ready for the glory. Oh, look, my second camera is too low. And <laughs> why, is it there? why is it there? Why are you... Where are my cameramen? Where are my elves? This sounds strange. There's something going on with this. Does that sound strange to you? It sounds strange to me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's okay. We can cock back regardless. No. No. Where's my cock back? There it is. Boom. All right. Three. Two. One. Happy days when you have an international high five on your um, on your Paul Harvey special. Yeah, very special Paul Harvey special. You know what I mean? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Should we check in on Paul Harvey? So Paul Harvey's saying. Paul Harvey, what are you saying? Paul Harvey? My, what a, a news story I'd have been broadcasting less than 2,000 years ago. That's a good point. Now how I would like to be here to broadcast two more. The second is coming. And a cure for cancer. That's real. In passing, may I... May I say in behalf of Amway and those independent Amway distributors throughout the United States and Canada... How much we appreciate your letting us 
come into your home once a week like this. And the hundreds of other folks in Ada, Michigan, at Amway headquarters, those who help make nearly 100 quality plus Amway home care products, which Amway representatives bring to your home. All these people have asked me to take this opportunity on this special day to wish you and your family on their behalf the best of health, the best of luck, and our most happy Christmas season. This is all the message they asked me to relay this day, and I'm happy to do so. How about that? Thanks, Paul Harvey. That was a nice uh, Christmas message from Paul Harvey and Amway. I don't even know where Amway is. I'm assuming it's his sponsor and it's probably something to do with some kind of transport system. Could be wrong. I'm sure somebody out there can maybe uh, illuminate for me. Anyone know what an Amway is? So I have to look it up. Well, we'll dedicate this to the fine men and women of Amway. From, uh, from Paul Harvey and I. And the whole uh, Harvey Meaningway family, as you know, united across space and time with a, a love, a love of all that is good and pure and righteous, and uh, particularly Christmas time. You know? A toast to you, an electrolito toast. Good news, Bad Bud is here with the with the uh, with the facts. Amway is an American multi-level marketing company that sells health, beauty, and home care products. The company was founded in 1959 by Jay Van Andel and Richard DeVos, and is based in Arda, Michigan. And uh, sponsored Paul Harvey's broadcast. Thank you. Shouts out to them.
Navidad, brothers and sisters. Feliz Navidad. This is Kira the Don on the Meaning Stream with a with a very, 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 very Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas. And let's bring him back, hey? Let's bring back the man himself. In the year 16... In the year 16... In the year 1647, England's Parliament convened to discuss a most serious manner. There was some sinning going on. Something potentially affecting every man, woman, and child in the country. A plague sweeping the land. A widespread contamination, it was called. Not physical disease, moral degeneration. A sin is what it was. As bad as all that. As bad as all that. For so insidious was the manner in which it had invaded the culture that until recent years hardly anyone had realized just how dangerous it was. Now in despair in 1647, British legislators sought to identify the source of this, this spiritual havoc. Clearly it had not begun among them, but it had begun somewhere in the dark recesses of their nation's history. Now the term used to describe this this dread thing was innocent sounding enough originally the word had meant to dance in a ring although by now practically nobody associated it with dancing anyway the seeds of its destructiveness were perhaps sown in the early 13th century an anglo-norman ritual may have been responsible for starting this sinning the 14th century witnessed a flourish of humanism and democratic spirit, and in this climate in which liberty was often regarded as license, the stage was set. Men dawned the 15th century, and with it the great menace, the scourge of England for years to come, the deceptive evil which now must be dealt with once and for all. But how? Might not many of those cruelly deceived rise up in anger, riot in the streets, even storm Parliament itself if threatened with a nationwide ban? Would prohibition of this sin work? And could a sin so beguiling, so intoxicating, so omnipresent be treated as a common misdemeanor and simply summarily prohibited? Rather than could it, the question before Parliament was could it be otherwise? Well, anyway, now it was time for the legislators to vote before it was too late. Throughout England, then and thenceforth, the awful practice must, in all of its forms, be considered a crime. It must be relegated to the distant, decadent past from whence it came. And so it was. The Parliament of England, 1647, passed its proposal, proclaimed its decree, and it was now a punishable offense. And it was to remain so until 1660, the restoration, the reestablishment of the British monarchy with the reign of Charles II. Now today, it's no longer considered a sin. Today it's okay. Remember this, this word I'm going to relate, originally meant to dance in a ring, though practically nobody associates it with dancing. But as you participate in this happy tradition this year, I want you to recall the strange once upon a time in the years during which the pagan hunting Puritans controlled England's parliament. That curious intermission in British history, when it was a crime 
And you would have been a criminal for publishing or even for singing Christmas carols. Now you know the rest of the story. There you go, baby. How about that? Now you know the rest of that story. That was the story about a Christmas carol. That strange period where they were banned. 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 In, a, in the place of some of my ancestors. You were not to be caroling in those times. Could happen again. Don't be surprised if they try banning caroling again, even within our lifetimes, even within, I don't know, the next three years. Time is crazy right now. Think how different it is right now to, you know, just five years ago. Hey, 2076. Good to see you. It says, most blessed and blessed to share this auspicious news. Ooh, we've got news. Ooh, we've got news. I didn't know we had news. Auspicious news from 2076. Uh, what happened? I asked my love to marry me last night, and she said... Ooh, bloody hell. What did she say? What did she say? She said yes. Ah, oh, she said yes. Blessings and abundance abound. Grateful to the gods from the bottom of my heart. Cheers. Hey, Felicidades. Congratulations to you. What a lovely Christmas gift that is. What a Christmas miracle. Joy to the world. 2076 is getting hitched. Uh, Mrs. 2076. And if that ain't nice, I don't know what is. Congratulations to you. Big up, not your problem. Thank you for the support. It says washing carpets in my house to receive my whole family. <laughs> well, you're washing the carpets. How are you doing that? Do they fit in the washing machine? You must have a really big washing machine. Wow. <laughs> uh, family reunion for the whole week. We're all spread out through the USA. Finally, God bless. Wait, are you? They're all. Everyone's coming to you, like Griswolds, like the Griswolds family Christmas. How big is your house? How many are coming? What a math! That's great, isn't it? Wow, amazing! Amazing! Wow, that's very nice, isn't it? A wedding and 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 clean carpets. Bigger. Uh, love must be in the air, you know. Love must absolutely, love must absolutely be in the air. I say this because, well, one, this is quite a nice, like. I think this is not quite a nice, like, smooching your lady under the mistletoe type of a joint. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that is a cozy joint. But at the same time, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Paul Harvey's got something to say uh, on the subject of matrimony. And a special little Christmassy matrimonial little address. 
Let's see, shall we? All right, Paul, have you was cracking? Down. Our tournament of roses. Tournament of roses. Ooh. Would you believe that Mr. and Mrs. Will Lenamond of Grossbeck, Texas, have been married 81 years? 81 years? That could be you. That could be you. 2076 in 81 years. Now, our tournament of roses. <laughs> Would you believe that Mr. and Mrs. Will Lenamond? of Grossbeck, Texas have been married 81 years to each other today. No, that's not yet our national record. We have one competing couple in our Tournament of Roses married 84 years. What? But the Lenamans of Grossbeck, Texas are going to raise them to 100. How from this last week's collection of bumper stickers do I possibly select one worthy of repetition? Paul Frazier of Waynesboro, Mississippi saw a sticker on the back bumper of a cougar. On the back bumper of this cougar, this snicker sticker says, get off my tail. (laughs) And Stephen Russo in Birmingham, Alabama saw one on the back bumper of a very soiled car, a bumper sign which said, test dirt, do not wash. Thelma Pryor in Oroville, California, where they've had a series of earthquakes plus a very torrid summer, sees a bumper sticker thereabouts which says, Oroville, they can shake. But somehow the philosophy which I will remember best from all of this week's bumper stickers is that which was expressed in one seen by L.H. Lohan in Abilene, Texas, a bumper sticker which says, quote, Hallelujah. Anyhow, amen. Paul Harvey. Good day. Hey, thanks, Paul Harvey. That's nice. Uh, how long have I been married? Does anyone know? How old's my boy? He's like a year longer than him. He's 10. Have I been married 11 years? But me and my wife have been together since like 2005. What's that? 18 years. I got a few to go to compete with that fine couple from Texas there. A few years to go to get in that kind of arena. What's up, Yoga Max says, this year has been one of the hardest on me, but I don't think I've ever been more grateful for family, friendship, and unparalleled, unconditional meaning. Oh, come on. It'll be that way sometimes. Sometimes you get one of those years. The, 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 you know, the joy of one of those years is it can remind you of what's really important. I'm going to dedicate this to 2076 and his bride-to-be. Joy to the world. Drop it.
says, I've been with my lovely wife for around 27 years. 27 years! Impressive. the world how goes the uh, abuse of the like button is in the way of the like button I have no many I have no idea what you guys have been doing I trust you've been doing the right thing speaking of doing the right thing it's Matt Lally doing the right thing Blessing the stream with a sort of pinkish red. What color is it? It's pink on that monitor. It's pinky red. It's red on here. With a pinky red super chat of $49.99 saying, Congratulations. Congratulations, 2076. And if that ain't nice, I don't know what is. Congratulations, 2076, from your friend Matt Lally. And the rest of us here at the meeting stream. This song is indeed dedicated to you and your beautiful bride to be. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas to the Lallies in Florida. Hey, Santa Claus, bless them. It's a perfect uh, just end there, a delightful end. And um, ooh, 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 ooh. I'm quite excited about this. Apart from pressing the wrong thing. Uh, Paul Harvey's coming back, and he's got, he's got a very, very uh, special story. I don't know if you've noticed, Paul Harvey's got this wonderful knack of, of, uh, of doing a certain kind of story, a story which has something of a revelation in it uh, that then kind of enlightens you. It's something usually pretty important. Look at that, by the way. Wow. Wow, the screens are looking nice tonight. We've got Charlie Brown over there. It is all very lovely out here today. Uh, Christmas, Hercules, my son, is uh, informing me it was like on an hour by hour basis. I think he was saying it was like three days and four hours to go until Christmas Eve or something earlier. Yeah, he's very, very excited, and he should be excited. It's all for him. Christmas is for the children. Um, you know, but it's also for all of us. That's the glories, actually, for everybody. Um, where's my song? Where's my nice music? Paul's... <laughs> Working three decks, when you've only got two deck controllers, is a bit complicated. I'm looking forward to getting my Texas one's back one of these days and uh, and that will be nice you know that's going to be lovely I'll tell you what's going to be lovely it's going to be this little Christmas story that uh, we're going to get blessed with from, from Paul Harvey now how about that um, alright in, in, in the recording business the seasons come at you months in advance that's true so here we have this famous singer sitting in his Hollywood home in the dead of summer 
plowing through stacks of sheet music and demo recordings which have been sent to him by hopeful songwriters, and the musical theme for the singer's summertime consideration is Christmas. Scores of scores of Christmas songs lay before him, most all of which ranged from unacceptable to unsingable. There were, however, three songs which the singer found rather charming. There was one tune entitled, He's a Chubby Little Fellow, referring, of course, to old St. Nick. There was a second Santa song, conspicuously called Santa, Santa, Santa. The third number, which the recording artist especially liked, was called If It Doesn't Snow on Christmas. So there was no question the singer wanted to record and release all three of these songs in time for the winter holidays, hoping to make a hit of at least one. But this is the rest of the story. There was a problem the fourth side. Two of the songs would fill out one record, sides A and B, but the third song needed a flip side, and quite frankly, none of the other songs the singer had evaluated was appealing at all. Well, it happens that a young unknown New York songwriter had sent a demo recording to the singer's home, and the singer's wife heard that, and she adored it. In fact, over her husband's rather extreme objections, she convinced him to record that number, to use it as the fourth side, and he did. All four new Christmas songs were to be cut the same day. The recording studio set aside three hours for the task. The union was very strict about time limitations, but as the recording session commenced, so did the difficulties, technical problems, arguments with the producer. Before anybody realized what had happened, two hours and 50 minutes had passed. The fourth side had not yet been recorded. The arranger began to panic. Now there's less than 10 minutes left in this session. But it's only that one dumb fourth side song anyway, he said. Let's just throw it in and let it go. And that's what they did. I mean, literally, the singer ran to the microphone, music up, one take, no rehearsal, one take. And then the engineer's voice boomed over the studio speaker. That's it. Wrap it up. And the recording session went dark. Forty Christmases ago. And since then, the fourth side that only a singer's wife could love has been loved by four decades of children, large and small. It sold two and a half million records the first year. It passed the 10 million mark more than 10 years ago. I mean that one record which was done in one take in 1948. The Johnny Marks classic has since been sung by more than 400 artists in virtually every language, including Chinese, it sold well over a hundred million copies. That first recording alone is the second biggest seller of all time. It's second only to Bing Crosby's White Christmas. And now we learn that Bing Crosby and other major recording artists had been offered that song first. But the only one who did not turn it down was a lady named Ina. Ina Autry, the wife of Jean Autry, and she made her cowboy star husband record it because she was touched by the story of the ugly duckling in Santa's stable, a lonesome little red-nosed reindeer named Rudolph, and now you know the rest of the story.
there you go, baby. Now you know the rest of that story. Did you see that coming? Did you guess where that was going? So often it be that way, huh? It's crazy to think that these songs were even written. Some of these songs are so ingrained, it's as if they always existed. But there are stories behind these. Every song came from somewhere. Someone sat down and wrote that thing. Or they stood up and wrote that thing. Me, I stand up. I write all my stuff standing up. I'm a standing, I'm a stand-up guy, you dig? I'll be standing here, I'll stand over the other side of the room at the desk over there. Stand. Start where you stand, that's what they say. When I say they, I mean... Well, who says that? Uh, I said that uh, in a song, <laughs> Ghost Written by Burton Valley. Woo! Nice noise. Look at that beautiful thing there. Look how lovely that is. You know what I mean? I think, I think it's Christmassy. I'm feeling Christmassy. I don't know about you. How are we enjoying Paul Harvey's contributions to the meaning stream today? Yoga Max says, Paul Harvey is what you could call a... Real mensch. You've heard of mensch on a bench? Hey. Hmm. Is Big Bad Wolf still in the gym? Yes, he is. <laughs> oh, dear, I'm so proud of this community. I've not been to the gym this week because I've been ill. I've had to save all of my energy for these streams. It's terrible. But I've been keeping up with, with my, my protein. I did some push-ups earlier. I did a few weights in the living room. But yeah, I have not been in the gym this week. probably know that because I haven't, I haven't told you normally when I've been in the gym I go hey I did this and that today and this and that and the other those reports have been p- conspicuous in their absence have they not because I've not been there oh, no. I've been banging Dayquil Nyquil whatever it is mm. Amanda dances says I was an ugly baby once it's amazing what you find when you just drop it in the chat and see what people are saying look my wife's in here Hello, darling. Uh, somebody better beat that like with a stick. I believe there are people in here who've not yet assaulted the like. As if there was no such thing as the law. Paul Harvey is a stand-up guy, says Yoga Mac. Yes, I read that already. Let's see. Oh, my chest bopping around all over the place. Ooh. 2076 says, I was practicing my hypnosis and I just managed to have her better judgment put aside long enough to manage to have her say, yes, you hypnotize your wife into, into marrying you. That is what, that is how you do it. That is how it's done. Meaning wave. 
It's the uh, Meaning Wave Meaning Stream Paul Harvey Christmas Spash You better believe it And uh, this stream is brought to you by MeaningWave.com What with Meaning Wave being uh, happiness being a side effect of meaning And all that It's also brought to you by the glory of the uh, The stream uh, Organized and advanced system that we have right now uh, they run out pretty quick, don't they? Good Lord, we've got three scheduled ahead of today. And uh, you might want to head over to the uh, live section so that you can, uh, you know, uh, anna- hit the notification thing there that, that will have YouTube let you know. For example, tomorrow is the Meaning Wave Office Christmas Party. Did you know that? Who's coming to the Meaning Wave Office Christmas Party? Who's coming? You're invited. Uh, you are invited. Did you know that, that you are invited? I invited you myself. So hit that thing there to 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 accept the invitation. You know, it's going to be a nice Christmas party, and there will be a fax machine in the corner that you can go and like you know, photocopy your boobs on or whatever it is people do. What else do people do at office Christmas parties? They photocopy their their boobs. Uh, they uh, what else do they do at office Christmas parties? Snog people on the dance floor. Does anyone say snog anymore? Does anyone snog anymore? Bring back snogging. Uh, hey, guess what? Then the day after that, it's uh, it's wrapping day uh, for the meaning stream number four hundred and sixty-four at two p.m. Eastern time on uh, Saturday. We'll be providing a perfect sound check for you to get all your wrapping done. We're gonna have a wrapping event, and then on Christmas Eve we will be here for the Christmas Eve shindig. Yeah. And uh, so you want to make sure that you, you you're. A, about that life and you want to make sure you're about that meaning life at meaningwave.com happiness being a side effect of meaning and all you can get yourself nice things like this holographic t-shirt and download some bundles or hit the resources tab and hit support meaning wave and um, and send us a billion dollars via one of these ways of doing it you know paypal patreon bitcoin etc a billion dollars you can actually do that it's possible that number is real And uh, to, to those about to do, send send a billion dollars, we salute you. You know, we thank you in advance for your service. See, Paul Harvey has AMRAP as a sponsor. I got MeaningWave.com. MeaningWave.com. Works uh, says, bringing back snog for the new generations. Is that what you're going to be doing at the office Christmas party? At the MeaningWave office Christmas party. That feels appropriate. Uh, Shall we bring back Paul Harvey? He's got another story. He's got another story for us uh, about something else magical and Christmassy. Um, And I'm rather excited to hear. Ooh, 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 ooh. And, uh, oh, this is very cool. I think this is a good good way of doing it. Um, All right, Paul Harvey, come back and uh, tell us a story, please. Father Joseph Moore had an emergency on his hands. He's a young priest in a newly created parish. He's not yet accustomed to dealing with last-minute crises. Everything had been routine, had been minor until now, but now it's December 24, it's Christmas Eve. 
The little Bavarian village of Oberndorf was already cloaked in gray nightfall, gently swirling snow. Father Joseph's parishioners were so looking forward to the midnight church service. For them, Christmas would simply not be Christmas unless it was heralded by the choir singing joyful carols, accompanied by the chapel organ. That was the problem, the organ. Or rather, the absence of it. For you see, the local schoolmaster and church organist, a young fellow named Franz Gruber, had come early that evening to rehearse for the midnight service, and he'd noticed that there was curiously little resistance as his feet pumped the organ pedals. And when his fingers touched the keys, nothing, not a sound. Further investigation revealed that hungry church mice had nibbled the bellows of the organ. No air pressure to feed the pipes. And on such short notice, repair was out of the question. So, organist Franz reluctantly made the announcement to Father Joseph in a matter of hours, the church would be filled with an eager congregation, and then it would be Father Joseph's turn to break the news. Half-heartedly, organist Franz mentioned that he also played the guitar. Father Joseph smiled. The magnificent service he had in mind would be incongruously diminished by such feeble accompaniment. Unless, of course, Franz would like to write new music for the service, some music specifically suited to the guitar, now Franz was smiling, but Father Joseph was serious. With so little time to work, neither could expect a profound and polished finished product, but for the sake of a Merry Christmas, they would have to do their best. With the midnight service fast approaching, Franz hurried home to get his guitar and some blank staff paper. And when he returned to the church, Father Joseph handed him a poem of three verses. Father Joseph had written a poem himself. He had actually composed it the day before without knowing how quickly it would become of use. Franz took the poem, began scoring for two solo voices, chorus and guitar accompaniment. The lines of music flowed onto the paper like sacramental wine. Perhaps the melody was a bit too naive, a little too simple, but there was no time to embellish that. Soon the choir would be arriving. They would need copies. Would there be a few minutes to rehearse? No, no time to rehearse. They would have to perform it cold. Americans, what you have just heard is how a Merry Christmas came to a little Bavarian village in 1818. Franz and Father Joseph sang, accompanied by Franz's guitar and the chapel choir, and against a flickering counterpoint of quiet and candlelight, the Oberndorf Parish listened in awe, because hungry mice had hushed the church organ, the music for their midnight service had been a, a rush job, and yet the spontaneous creation of Franz Gruber, inspired by the simple poetry of Father Joseph Mower, unleashed a power born of stillness, a music reflecting majesty for the unsophisticated little Christmas song they wrote remained unrevised and is each year at Christmas time rediscovered and celebrated throughout the entire world silent night now you know the rest of the story Wow. Now we know. How'd that one? Someone wrote that. 
Isn't that crazy? Someone wrote that. writing that in a rush. All because the organ didn't work. You know, sometimes the organ doesn't work. And that is an opportunity to try something else. Because you never know. Just come up with something that changes the world and becomes a part of the world. Amazing. And I think we can expect on next year's Cure uh, the Download by Christmas album a version of Silent Night because I haven't done one. I assumed I would have, and I, and I hadn't. <laughs> so I had to run off over the other side of the room. And I was like, flipping heck. Find a, find a version of Silent Night that's cooler than I like. And, uh, so that's rather exciting. Ooh. My bad, i got to run over the other side of the room again. I left my mouse over there. the meaning stream <laughs> we got Paul Harvey with us today telling us cool stories giving us Christmas wisdoms and Christmas messages just looking at what we got coming up we got some great stuff coming up aren't we goodness how are you all enjoying the program so far Everything going with you. Big Bad Wolves in the sauna. Congratulations. What do you mean in a sauna listening to the meaning stream? It happens, you know. It's actually happened quite a lot. I oftentimes get messages from people listening to listening to meaning streams in, this, in the sauna. Says, this is a saucy mix lover. This is Jimmy Smith. Bang.
Jimmy Smith's take on Silent Night there, but now we know the full story of where Silent Night came from. We know it was written by a person. It wasn't just one of those things that existed forever. And it came into being due to a faulty organ. That ain't nice, I don't know what it is. People talking about Christmas movies in the chat. Jim Henson's Muppets Christmas Carol. Ooh, I haven't watched that for years. Might want to bring that one out. I might watch a Christmas movie after this. I mean, who knows? We're getting on. We're getting in. We're going in. <laughs> Stuart watched it yesterday twice on VHS. Twice! That's crazy on VHS. You have to rewind it. You have to rewind the tape. Kalei says you should watch uh, Chuck Jones' production of A Christmas Story with Alistair Simmons Scrooge. Yeah, I've never seen that. I used to have a really good book about Chuck Jones' his work. I missed that. I wonder what happened to it. Jeff says, uh, go find Jim Henson's The Christmas Toy and give it a watch. I think you'd love it. A true diamond in the rough. I don't think I've seen that one. Do you not think I've seen that one? Christmas encompasses, encompasses many emotions, many moods, many many styles, you could say. So much is within Christmas. You think of Christmas as, as, as a thing, but so many things. Christmas, as we were saying earlier, Christmas is being in the moment, and also Christmas is, is our history. It's where we came from. It's what came, went before us and what we can learn from them. You yeah. know? And with that in mind, I would like to bring back Paul Harvey uh, again from across space and time to uh, to tell us a story, a Christmas story from our from our history. Uh, welcome back, Paul Harvey. You ever heard the fairy tales of Johannes Niemann? In particular, do you happen to know his story of the soldiers who wouldn't fight? It goes like this. Once upon a time, long, long ago, two mighty kingdoms went to war. Their armies fought for months, slaughtering one another quite efficiently through the interminable summer and the terrible fall. Then somebody remembered it was Christmas. The sun shone brightly that December morning, but the mist was slow to clear, and when it did, it revealed yesterday's battlefield thinly blanketed in white. The silence was broken by a voice, the voice of one of the soldiers calling out across the battlefield to his enemies. The voice struggling in a language that was not its own, shouted, Come out, we want to talk. Moments later, two of yesterday's enemies were standing in the middle of the misty white battleground, shaking hands and smiling. Then there were two more, and then four more. Until the place where their comrades had perished only hours before, 
was teeming with a joyous throng of former foes. Nobody wanted to kill anybody, all agreed. So some exchanged gifts, cigars, candy, jars of jam, all of the modest treasures lonely soldiers come to prize. Others serenaded new friends with carols in native tongues, while the rest cut little Christmas trees and adorned them with makeshift candles. And then one soldier brought out a big round ball, while his new companions from the other army laid out on the battlefield a playing field, and with the paraphernalia of a new abandoned war, the men fashioned a couple of goals, and for hours they played a wonderful game, which one team won, but nobody cared. Days passed. The former enemies were now friends, playing games, repairing shelters, swapping stories, marveling together at the miracle of Christmas, which had made them all as one. More than a week went by before the generals showed up. Why aren't you fighting, they demanded. The soldiers shrugged. We weren't angry at anyone, so we didn't want to fight anymore. The generals were furious. It's treason, they declared. They made all of their troops return to their battle formations and prepare to make war. For quite some time, the new friends tried to make it look good, but their commanders eventually caught on and escalated their threats. So reluctantly, today's friends became tomorrow's enemies once more. You say you've never heard the fairy tales of Johannes Niemann. Perhaps that's because there are none. His story of... The soldiers who wouldn't fight. That story is completely true. Utterly factual. You see, he, Lieutenant Johannes Niemann of the 133rd Saxon Regiment, was one of those soldiers who laid down his weapons and befriended his foes. A German soldier who, with the aid of his comrades and his British enemies, countless thousands, created something now called the most remarkable front-wide truce in military history. For the war that held its breath, in its first Christmas season. The conflict very nearly smothered in its own infancy by the unexpected intrusion of peace on Earth. That conflict would go on to extinguish 13 million lives and inflict agony on 26 million others. A mass murder snatched from the jaws of brotherhood by the generals and the politicians. We call it the First World War. You've been reading about it since you were in school. But now, now you know the rest of the story. Nice and nice to pull, Harvey. The story of the Christmas truce. I think many of you probably know that story. There's a meaning wave version of that existing, of course, with narration from Jocko. Jocko Willing. Who announced today that uh, everyone's favorite Chris, the best Chris, Chris Pratt, has, uh, has become a co-owner of uh, Jocko Go. Jocko's energy drink. Uh, the best Chris is now a co-owner of that. Shout out to him. He's a fellow. He, he was. He was the. He played the chubby, foolish character in Parks and Recreation, and then sort of chiselled himself into a modern-day uh, movie star. And upset all the right people by um, 
being a man of God. We've got a nice song by Paul Harvey about uh, about people who, who get upset if you're a man of God and where that influence comes from. Big Bad Wolf says this melody is too amazing. Thanks, Akira. Thanks, Paul Harvey. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Fight! Oh, don't fight. Perfect. It's the meaning stream. Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas Special. Space and Time by uh, your friend and mine, Paul Harvey. Telling us nice Christmas stories. Beautiful Christmas stories. Increasing the feeling. Ramping up that feeling. Jeff says, wasn't that Mama Dunn's dad singing Bleak Midwinter? That's Mama Dunn's stepfather there, Mike Richards, singing Bleak Midwinter. He passed earlier this year. Got to spend some time with him in February. Very grateful for that. And got to record him and my wife's mother singing Bleak Midwinter some years ago, and I sampled that recording on this song. It now exists for all time, you know? magical thing to be able to do that it really is like it does it's still like many things that we take for granted really do blow my mind that you can capture the voice of a human being you can capture that somehow and then listen to it forevermore not just a memory of it not just something that can haunt you thing you can press a button and, and it's there with you in the room magical Jeff says, beautiful voice he had. He did, thank you. Sang a lovely song at our wedding, he did. Big Bad Wolf says, rest in peace, Paul Harvey, who clearly rests in the wave yard. Clearly.
make some noise, which means spam the chat with wave emojis. Make some noise. Paul Harvey. And for Mike Richards. Jeff says, Akira, how do you manage to produce so many tunes that make every hair on your body stand on it? Same gifted you are. Thank you, Jeff. So I've been working on that. That's one of the things I've been working on. Like until until it's doing that to me, it's not ready, you know. So we bring back Paul Harvey. Let's bring back Paul Harvey for uh, a very special Christmas story. A very special Christmas story about, well, let's find out. The subject was bound to come up. And yet when Al and Vicky were married, nobody mentioned it. Nor did the issue arise after the birth of their first child. But when little Ed was born... The following year, Al asked his wife a favor. And that brings us to the rest of the story. The favor which Al requested of his wife was, could their household please that year at Christmas time have a Christmas tree? You see, theirs was a mixed marriage. There'd never ever been a Christmas tree for Vicky while she was growing up, and yet of all of the fond memories of Al's childhood, the most marvelous and magical were those of the family Christmas tree. It had been an indispensable winter tradition. As Al grew up, the magical memories faded, but now suddenly he found himself gazing down into a crib, into the eyes of his infant son, and somehow he saw therein himself. Al had adored his firstborn, his little daughter, but it took a son to awaken the simple, sweet yearning of his own boyhood. So he came to his wife, and as persuasively as he knew how, he asked for a family Christmas tree. I don't believe I mentioned how very much Vicky loved Al, nor how dearly she had always wished to please him. And so without hesitation, on that bright December day, she looked back at her husband, smiling, said, go out and Find us a Christmas tree. Well, what a joyous season that was. The first complete Christmas at Alan Vicky's place. The children, perhaps too young to know, seemed nevertheless to appreciate the festivities and particularly that wonderful green tree in their home. Its decorations were splendid. The angel perched up on top with outstretched arms seemed to preside over all. The babies seemed especially fascinated with the lights. They used candles in those days for lights. They were lean wax tapers. But the reflections of those tiny flames danced in the shiny ornaments. Al told Vicky the story of how Martin Luther had been walking home late one night. And he had stopped in breathless wonder to gaze at stars shining through the branches of a lone evergreen beside the road. And how thus inspired, it was Martin Luther who had created the custom of candles on Christmas tree branches. Well, now, maybe that's only a story. But Vicky was charmed and told Al that they must have a Christmas tree in their home every year. And they did. They would have seven more children, nine in all. Vicky herself would live to see 37 grandchildren. And everybody from earliest childhood would love the family Christmas tree tradition. Although it became much more than that. For their marriage, as I say, was mixed. 
You see, Al had been born in Germany and Vicky in England. And at the time of their marriage in 1840, the Christmas tree was a German custom. There were none in Great Britain. And yet royal records reveal that during Christmas of 1841 at Windsor Castle, Prince Albert of Saxony and his bride, Queen Victoria of England, put up something called a Christmas tree. Al and Vicky put up a Christmas tree that delighted the entire court and swiftly captured the imagination of the British Empire. Now, you may have thought of the Christmas tree as a, as a romantic custom. Well, now you know how right you were, for now you know the rest of the story. What? Now you know. Did you know that? Huh? Did you know that previously? Did you know that's where the Christmas tree came from? Did you know that's why you put up a Christmas tree? Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Paul Harvey, you really are a fountain of wisdom, and knowledge, and stories, and, and whatnot. Vicky and Al, you like the way you did that, Vicky and Al. Pig Love says my tree is glowing with, with uh, yellow, orange, purple, blue, green, and red lights. That's nice, isn't it? Jeff loved that one. Yoga Max says, Yo, meaning wave with Paul Harvey is a low-key knowledge and wisdom wave. Splash, splash, splash. How lovely are thy branches, says Clay. Well, exactly. Christmas wave with Paul Harvey. Lane Stewart says, Perfect timing on that one. I was out cutting trees off an old bag. This is gift tags. Out trees off an old bag. Good, good name for a song. Cutting off trees off an old bag. Perfect visuals right now. Oh wow! Look at that. Amazing. It's a special Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas here on The Meaning Stream. Hope you're all having a lovely time out there. Hope you're enjoying yourselves. Shout out to everyone uh, who's been here before. And shout out to everyone who's never been here before as well. If this is your first time, welcome. We're here every day right now, actually. We didn't stream for, for a long time because we were... Um, it was rather difficult since we uh, we relocated to Mexico without that being the plan and have been uh, sort of rebuilding ever since it's been rather nice I was talking to my mum earlier and I was showing her around the studio she's going oh look at all that stuff but all of this is stuff that uh, we, we, was replacement stuff for the stuff that's in storage in Texas and 
this really is amazing how bit by bit by bit by bit this whole thing has come together and now we can stream I can come in here I can press a couple buttons and so on and so forth and, and broadcast and do nice things like this and uh, it really is a miracle and uh, you know wouldn't have been possible without the support of you lot make some noise for yourself Jeff says, I hope to get some Meaning Wave Velvet for Christmas. MeaningWave.com, the exclusive home of Meaning Wave Velvet. It's true. Dan says, Paul Harvey Christmas. Christmas came early. It's nice when one does that, huh? song this song is called ice skating christmas disco date i have fun naming my lo-fi christmas joints they usually don't have vocals to hinge them on you know so you get to what does this really sound like what did this song sound like and i said this song sounds like a ice skating christmas disco date to me that's what it sounds like and so it was named for uh, some more Paul Harvey <laughs> with another little story this one this one's called Little Light you know what the news is in a minute you're going to hear the rest of the story Jimmy Robinson looked forward to Christmas time each year for a thousand reasons but for one in particular the lighting of the old Christmas tree bulb for all of his parents' holiday decorations, the most special was a strand of Christmas lights with a score of replacement bulbs in it and one original one. One clear, white Christmas light that had come with the set and which had continued to burn brightly season after season. Oh, there was no mistaking that one bulb. It was the very last one on the string. And it was slightly different from the newer ones, not only in outward appearance, but in a, in a magical, indefinable something in its glow. So for Jimmy Robinson, Christmas time carried with it a unique anticipation. He and Dad would bring home their Christmas tree. They'd get out the ornaments and the lights. Then before any other decoration was removed from the big dusty cardboard box, that one old strand of tree lights would be taken from it. And as Jimmy held his breath, wishing hard, Dad would ceremoniously plug it in. And each and every season, that last light on the string, the only original bulb left, would light up and shine as brightly as ever before. All of the other bulbs in the set had been replaced. Many of the replacements had been replaced. But that very last light continued to glow for the Robinson family each Christmas, like a dear and ageless relative dropping in for the holidays. And Christmases passed, and over the seasons subsequent, Jimmy grew up, left hometown Baldwin, Missouri, to see what lay beyond, he became a Colonel James Robinson, a chaplain in the United States Army, 
stationed here and abroad. Yet each and every Christmas time, wherever his post, Colonel Robinson received a telephone call from back home in Baldwin from his dad, Walter Robinson, and the news was always the same, told in the same delighted, excited voice. It lighted up again, son. That same old Christmas light is still burning bright. Medical science is only beginning to comprehend the power of mind over melody. Confirming that the way a patient thinks can steer the course of any disease. Multiple sclerosis in particular. Multiple sclerosis in particular. In fact, there's such a demonstrable cause and effect between one's mental attitude and MS that doctors are sometimes reluctant to diagnose it for fear of worsening the disease with the news. Conversely, perhaps no other illness responds so quickly or so dramatically to hope. You see, Jim Robinson's dad, Walter, for decades had MS. He had multiple sclerosis. In its course, there were ups and downs. And yet there was no up ever, any higher than the exhilaration from an annual ritual in which a solitary Christmas tree light defied the dark. One brave little light ablaze each Christmas. Ever since the strand was first purchased by Jim Robinson's grandfather in 1918. By this holiday season, both of Jim's parents are gone. But the Christmas light, the Christmas light, that same original bulb on his sister's Christmas tree shines on. In a way, for us all. Now you know the rest of the story. Paul Harvey's Rest of the Story is a service of ABC News. Woo! Wowee! Thank you, Paul Harvey. Woo! Yeah, I think it was raining in here. Something was raining in here. This is, I don't know how that happened. We're indoors. How does that happen? Raining inside studios. That's crazy. Ain't no other reason there would be mistiness. Wow. That was a good one, huh? That was a good one, this little light pole, Harvey. I got a feeling that's gonna, I'm gonna, a bunch of these are gonna become songs. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if a whole album of these joints appeared. You know what I mean? That was beautiful right there. That one light shines on, yes it does. There is a light that never goes out. Let your heart be light, says Kalei. Is that what it says in this song? Does it say, let your heart be light? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Something, something, something. Actually, no, I've done like 15 versions of this song. <laughs> hey, how's about we, uh, we, uh, we uh, appreciate... Um, uh, <laughs> express gratitude... Uh, young Jason Eva 
who spent a great proportion of today uh, going through various Paul Harvey Christmas broadcasts and, uh, and, and chopping them into little pieces and making a nice document for me with uh, the contents of these various pieces and put them in a Dropbox folder so I can listen through them and pick the ones I like and thus bring you this fine broadcast. Yeah, I mean, absolutely wonderful. Uh, make some noise for Jason Eva, without whom we would not be having this wonderful broadcast. Thank you, Jason Eva, for your wonderful work here in the Meaning Wave universe. Yeah. And the chat goes wild. Thank you, Jason, says Matthew. Heck yes, Jason. Thank you, says Shecky. Props to Jason, says Jeff. Well done, Jason, said somebody else. Who was that? Killay. Yeah. Jeff says, uh, Richard, I'm not crying. I'm waterboarding my eyeballs. Damn it. Oh, at least you're taking responsibility. Bad Buddha says, thank you, Jason. All right, Jason's here. He says, thank you, Akira. Thank you, everyone. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas to Jason Eva and your family. Jason Eva will not be here tomorrow for the Meaning Wave Christmas party because uh, he's going to the Jason Eva family Christmas party. He's having a party for his whole family. We will carry him with us in our hearts. Yes, we will. that was the first one did have yourself a very low vibe christmas i've since done since done a number of uh of takes on that wonderful melody for whatever reason i've done a bunch of them i asked uh, the other day if anyone knew how many it was and then i forgot to look at the chat and see if anyone actually guessed it right but then the answer the, the truth of the matter is i'm not sure it's a bunch we're going to bring back Paul Harvey. I think it's very important that we bring back Paul Harvey. This is a story... A story about... Uh, what's this a story about? This is a story about... Where are we? Um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've uh, derailed a little from my plan. I had a, very, I had a plan, but I, I've, I've bought in something that I wasn't meaning to. Well, no, that I wasn't planning to. There's enough stuff, right, that you could be doing at a Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas special... Uh, every year for 50 years and not run out of stuff. Did you know that? This is uh, a story about a mother and a son getting stuck in the snow. I believe the son is called Charles. Or Charlie. Charlie was 10. Yeah. Charlie was 10. School was out for Christmas vacation. The family had decided to spend their holiday in the country. A light snow was falling and Charlie pressed his nose against the windowpane. How unlike the big city, 
where traffic blackened the white loveliness almost before it touched the street. But here, all was quiet and cottony white. Say, how would Charlie like to go for a car ride in the snow, his mother asked. Oh, Charlie would like that. So the boy and his mother got in the car and drove off down the snow-laden lane. Even the tiniest twigs in the barren trees glistened. Charlie wondered what made the ice cling like that as he listened to the squeaky crunch of the snow under the car tires as the snow fell more heavily now. A mile or so down the road was a gentle curve. Mother knew it was there. She drove slowly approaching it, so it was doubtless a patch of ice which caused the automobile to slide off to one side and into a shallow snowdrift. Oh, Charlie thought it was fun. Mother smiled and shifted into reverse, but no traction. The wheels were spinning and Mother was no longer smiling. Charlie could not wait to be asked. He opened the passenger door and climbed down into the snow. I will push, he declared, and he scampered around to the front of the car. Well, again, Mother stepped on the accelerator, but despite her son's assistance, the automobile just sat there stuck. It was all right, Mother reassured. There was a house not far away. Strangers, but surely friendly strangers. So hand in hand, young Charlie and his mom started walking. The snow fell more heavily now. It seemed a very long way up that slippery lane. But then at last, in a vague silhouette against the gray-white sky, the big house loomed before them. Mother knocked on the door. Moments later, it was answered by a lady with a kind face. Yes, of course, Charlie and his mother could come in. Yes, of course, they could use the telephone. And the lady nodded in apparent concern as they related their predicament. Well, it wasn't long before somebody had come to rescue the adventurers, mother and son, on that very, very special holiday. I realize what you've heard doesn't sound particularly special, but to Charlie's mother and especially to young Charlie, how very special it was indeed. Because you see, during the Christmas season of 1958, at Sandringham in England, a 10-year young boy learned what it was like to be ordinary. That was most remarkable in itself. Pomp and ceremony would follow him forever after. But there was that one halcyon scene from his childhood. That adventurous afternoon meant only for him and his mother. And there was the look on the face of the kind lady at Amher Hall when two visitors came to call. A mother and a son seeking refuge from the snow. Elizabeth, the Queen of England, and a ten-year young Charles, the heir to her throne. And now you know, of course, the rest of the story. Right there. 
story about a mother and son being stuck in the snow. What's up, Hayley Lane? Says, if this isn't nice, I don't know what it is. Well, exactly. Well, exactly. It's that. It's that many way. Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas. A delightful, a delightful, delightful, delightful Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas it has been. We've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We've had ten. Ten stories from, from Paul Harvey. Thanks, Paul Harvey. We've got time for a few more still. We've got time for a few more Christmas stories. Who wants to hear some more Christmas stories from Paul Harvey? Let me know. crazy that uh, that little boy did indeed grow up to be the king of England. It's kind of crazy that there is such a thing as a king of England. The world that Paul Harvey knew was a very different world, but in some ways... It ain't so different. We still have Christmas. We got Christmas and we got each other. And if that ain't nice, I know not what is. Great Escape. That sounds exciting. The city worker flagged down the policeman. You see that fellow the former told the latter? The policeman nodded. Well, he has a funny accent, the street worker said. The officer replied, so? The street worker added that the stranger, walking away from them, had asked instructions to the railroad station. The railroad station? The street worker repeated, everybody in town knows where the railroad station is. So the policeman caught up with the stranger and asked for some identification. The man calmly said he'd left his ID at home. Only the address the man gave was in the opposite direction that he was pointing. So the officer said, please come with me. And then it was all over. More than a month after one of the most daring prisoner of war escapes in the history of World War II, the last SKP was apprehended Sunday, January 28, 1945. For you see, the stranger who had asked directions of a suspicious street worker was not just passing through town. He was the Navy captain who had masterminded the great Christmas Eve escape of 1944. Fluent in three languages, he was certain that he could navigate the enemy's culture but he was no match for the enemy's geography. That brings us to the rest of the story. It had been a tunnel escape from the POW camp, an incredible escape 
Like the fictional bumbling Nazis who ineptly guarded Hogan's heroes, the guards at this real-life prison camp became unwitting accessories. They permitted their prisoners, at the suggestion of the Navy captain, to make a recreation field for volleyball games, so the growing pile of dirt was scarcely noticed. The entrance shaft was concealed by a portable coal bin outside a bathhouse. The labor required three men, one to dig, a second to remove the soil, a third to scatter the soil over the new volleyball court. It took the prisoners some three months to excavate the 14-foot deep, 178-foot long tunnel, and at last, the momentous night arrived, 25 prisoners were to make a run for it. They began at 2100 hours in the cold and rainy darkness of a December 23. By 0230 Christmas Eve, the last designated prisoner was free. It was 17 hours before the camp guards realized what had happened. And then only because one of the escapees had panicked and turned himself in. Even so, the rest variously surrendered or were rounded up within days until only the crafty captain who had planned it all remained at large. He hid in caves near town. He slept in hotel lobbies. He ate when and whatever he could. And then after more than a month on the run, he was arrested and re-imprisoned until the end of the war. And he is alive today at the age of 94. Yet even still, the great-grandchildren of Captain Jurgen Wattenberg beseech him to retell the true tale of the great Christmas Eve escape of 1944, when he and two dozen intrepid comrades fled their POW camp at Papago Park, near downtown Phoenix, Arizona. That's right, the SKPs were German officers in an American POW camp. And one thing more, the United States Army chose the otherwise inconvenient location of Phoenix for that camp because the caliche soil in that vicinity was impossible to tunnel through. Of course, now you know they were wrong, because now you know the rest of the story. Christmas Eve Escape of 1944. Sheila says, I think my favourite Paul Harvey story is when he broke into Area 51. Wasn't that the other guy, Arthur? Who was that guy, Coast to Coast? Good Lord. I don't want to think about that. That's not Christmas Eve. Arthur Bell? Mm. 2076 says, this is one of my favorite streams of all time. How about that? Is that because, because you're, you're getting married? That's why. 
It's got nothing to do with the stream. We could be uh, like, you know, we could be doodling on boxes. You know, we could be, do you know I used to have a job? Uh, I was working in a, uh, in a box factory. Did you know that? I worked in a, in a cardboard box factory. The factory literally made cardboard boxes. And it had this thing. It was like, I don't know how many, like four floors or something like that. And at the top floor, there was a chute that went all the way down into this like giant skip type thing that all the cut off like ends of the cardboard uh, would go into. You would, some, I can't remember why, but whatever you, we, we were doing on the top floor, you'd be cutting off like bits of the cardboard that weren't necessary for the box. Yeah. So they would go down the chute and they would go down into um, you know, these giant skips. And one of the things I did, for whatever reason, I think this is the thing you had to do, but I don't think you did have to do it. Part of the job involved like crushing down these boxes. There wasn't a big machine that did it. It was us. But to get down there, I used to go down the chute. So it was like four stories. I'd go down a chute, wee, and like land in a skip full of cardboard boxes. And I was chopped up to pieces. You'd leave that place at the end of the day, at the end of your 12-hour shift. 12-hour shift. You'd come out the place just like cut to death with cardboard chops. But I had so much fun jumping up and down uh, in a skip full of, full of cardboard, you know. So... What was I? I think I was 17 when I had that job. That was a good job. Mm. Brandon Drake says, I like that Paul Harvey subverts our expectations with his selective emissions. He sure does. He sure does. 2076 says, no, 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 that's not why. Oh, yeah, I completely got sidetracked for my point there. My point was that this could be a cardboard box crushing stream and it would still be the best stream for 2076 because 2076 is getting married. Yeah. Trivial Gravitas, coast to coast AM with Aunt Bell. I used to fall asleep on my radio when I was a kid listening to the weird stories. Do you remember when that guy rang up? And he'd escaped from Area 51, and he was freaking out. I'd never heard a person sound so terrified. I sampled that on a mixtape back in the day. Twenty seventy six says, "Don't forget Gene Shepherd." I can't forget Gene Shepherd because I don't know who he is. I actually don't think I know who that is. Uh, Illink says, "Didn't Art Bell kind of get pushed off the air, or am I imagining that?" Well, when that person rang in and said they'd escaped from Area 51 and they were freaking out, that person got cut off the air and it just went silent. And that was spoopy. Spoopy. But that's not Christmassy at all. And I shouldn't have mentioned it. We got time for another story? Maybe one more story? Look at the visuals. Can you see what's going on here? This is incredible. Look at that. Look how wonderful that is. If you're listening on the podcast feed, you can't see this. You're missing out, but it's part of one of the uh, the later Charlie Brown Christmas specials, and it's Snoopy on a lit-up disco dance floor getting down. And if that isn't fly, I don't know what is. And if that isn't going to turn up in a music video next year, I don't know what is. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee.
All right, let's bring back Cole Harvey. And, um, uh, this one's going to be nice, you know. This is going to be a nice one. Uh, this is, uh, what does he call this? The Miracle of Christmas. The Miracle of Christmas, brothers and sisters. I, 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 I guess the real miracle of Christmas is that any religious significance remains what with the tendency to commercialization. Despite the gaudy tinsel wrapping, the, the meaning of the Christ Mass remains somehow intact. Though our eager eyes now search the skies for man-made stars, we yet remember best the one which once upon a time stood still over a stable. This is the miracle of Christmas. Not that so many profane the day with self-indulgence, but that so many still trudge through snow to an early service or a midnight mass. I saw a drunken street corner Santa with booze on his breath and his beard in his hand hauled off to jail this Christmas tide. But I saw the whole selfless Salvation Army standing by its kettle in the cold, giving meaning to his birth and purpose to his life. I saw a woman with shoes twice resold leave a dollar there. No, Virginia, the unbelievers are the greatest proof of what they profess to disbelieve. For two centuries, they have sought to destroy Christmas. They coined ribald greeting cards to divert the devout. They sought with finite science to deny the infinite. They negotiated with union contracts for Christmas gifts. They crowned the day with imitation gold and hung it on an artificial tree and said, See, but when they'd done their worst, Christmas was still there, haunting them, shaming them, calling out to them believe. If after generations of effort to disparage the day, what do you suppose would happen if we instead renewed it? There are no more lengths to which we can go to dilute its significance. Perhaps we should revert to reverence. For if this magical day, despite the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, has somehow survived and thrived, with proper care and tending, the love it represents might heal all our hurts. The faith we could not starve to death, properly fed just once each year, might overwhelm the world. Anyway, we've tried everything else. The revitalization of Christmas will be as tedious as its erosion was gradual, but there is no better time than now, for it's later than it's ever been. Where to begin? With prayerful thankfulness, I think. Merry Christmas, we traditionally say, yet that is not the larger meaning of the day. You know, it's his birthday, not yours. Christmas means something very special to every man and woman and child, yet no two families will celebrate it in exactly the same way. Many will attend special services and others will gather with friends and family. But all of us who observe Christmas are finding an extra measure of peace and reassurance now, a momentary respite from the cares and worries of routine workaday lives. And yet Christmas brings with it many thoughts which are not quite adequately expressed in the timeless greeting. May the peace and joy of Christmas be with you throughout the year. Throughout the year, there you go, you said it. 
Exactly. Oh, winter long. Oh, year long. That's what it looks like to me. Thank you, Paul Harvey. Make some noise for Paul Harvey and a wonderful, magical, glorious Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas here on the stream of meaning, the meaning stream. Everyone's favorite DJ chatty hang around and listen to epic music and have a lovely time every night type situation you know that's what we do that's how it goes that's who we are thank you all for being here what a lovely time we've had wave emojis flood the chat like I said, there's so much wonderful Paul Harvey Christmas work out there. We could be doing this every day all, all, all winter long. Maybe we will. One of these years. But for now, this was the very first Paul Harvey Lo-Fi Christmas special. On the Meaning Stream. Thank you all for being here. back tomorrow of course it's the uh, meaning stream meaning wave Christmas office party situation hope to see you there it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas that's cause it is I think we would all like to hear one more song, wouldn't we? And uh, this one will not be freestyled. And this will be one that we uh, made earlier, as they used to say. They used to say that on Blue Pizza, which, which was a British television program about making stuff. And, uh, you know, being, being a cool little kid. Here's one we made earlier, they'd say. Here is indeed one made earlier. I made this beat first. Here's the thing, I'd made this beat and I was like, and it was on the Lo-Fi Christmas 4 album. It was very beautiful as it was. And when I was putting together the YouTube mix where I normally add in sprinkles of samples and stuff, something uh, drew me to, to listen to one of these Paul Harvey videos that I had in this little pile of things to check out. I just played it over this and they just fitted together perfectly and I found that I was you know all sort of teary and spine tingly and and hair standy up on endy and all that sort of thing and uh, the following year I made it into a proper song I think we should probably play it how about that this is called The Man and the Birds Thank you, Paul Harvey, and more so Paul Harvey, for all of these treasures that you have left us. Uh, it is a great honor to, uh, 
to weave them in in this manner, you know. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed and they went to the midnight service. Now shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first, he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there, miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes. And he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. And he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction every direction except into the warm lighted barn and that's when he realized that they were afraid of him they were afraid of him to him he reasoned i'm a strange terrifying creature if only i could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me that i'm not trying to hurt them but to help them but how any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them they just would not follow they would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now. I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn 
But I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they couldn't see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears. Above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells at Desta Fidelis. Listening to the bells. Pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Thank you, Paul Harvey. What a delightful stream that was, huh? What a lovely stream that was. Thank you all for being here. Yo. Oh, I've got reverb on. That's why it sounds strange. Hey, what's going on? stream thank you all for listening thank you for being here that was a lovely one uh that was one of those ones where lots of things could have gone wrong and it went pretty good i think i think that was delightful i think that's one for the ages and i think we can uh safely uh assume that we'll be getting a bunch of paul harvey lo-fi christmas music next christmas season because she what an absolute treasure trove of glory and wonder that is huh uh, thank you again, Jason and Eva, for assisting with putting that together. Uh, thank you all for being here. We'll be here tomorrow for the uh, Meaning Wave Office Christmas Party. Hope to see you there. Uh, this stream was brought to you by MeaningWave.com. MeaningWave.com, because happiness is a side effect of meaning. Head on over to MeaningWave.com today. Open up a tab. Go have a look. There's lots of cool stuff that you might enjoy. There's wonderful clothing. It's very comfortable. It's well made. It's made in the USA. It's wonderfully made, in fact. We've got vinyl. We've got cassettes. We've got all sorts of stuff. We've got digital downloads. You can watch videos, read lyrics, all of that sort of thing. And if you want to make a donation to the Righteous Cause of MeaningWave, you can hit the Resources tab. And uh, there, if you hit that, you'll find customer support which is weird but if you uh, 
let it pop up like that and hit support meeting wave, you will then find links. You'll find a PayPal and a Patreon and a Bitcoin and an Ethan, a Venmo and a Cash App. And uh, to those that support Meaning Wave, we are very grateful. We could not do this without you. We would indeed be that tree in the woods of which Alan Watts speaks that doesn't actually make a sound because there's no fucker there to hear it. And uh, with that being said, like the man said, I want to wish you all a wonderfully Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. He sounds angry there, huh? A wonderfully Merry Christmas from all of us here at Meaning Wave. And we look forward to spending time with you again very, very soon. Good night. God bless. You beautiful thing. <laughs>